Good morning. Happy New Year. Um, I'm thankful to be with you all this morning. Uh, my name is Lee Humarian. I'm the tech director here at Grace. Uh, did everyone have a good New Year's? Anyone stay up real late or go to New Year's party or anything? Personally, I went to bed at like 9.30, watched the East Coast one, and I was out after that. So, um, But any, do any of you have, know somebody that they kind of have a go-to story they pull out at, at every social event, New Year's parties, whatever it might be? And you've heard this story a hundred times, but still, here it comes again. Maybe it's a story from their past or some epic lesson they learned. Any of you guys have a friend like that that brings a story up every time? Maybe you're sitting next to that friend. Maybe you're your spouse, or maybe you are that friend. I, I can, we can be honest. We can be honest with each other. My grandpa used to do this all the time. He had so many stories, and of course, we'd heard them all. But what I loved about my grandfather's reflections was that he always had a life lesson that he would say. It was always something he'd learned or experienced in his own life that he wanted to pass along to, to those of us that were following after him. And this morning, as we're back in First Peter, Peter's going to be the grandfather figure for us. If you've been with us at all for the past couple of months, you know that submission has been a consistent theme in Peter's first letter. And we may know the story by, my, by now, but there's a reason Peter keeps reiterating this. Just look at the life of Peter. If we look back, I mean, he was just a simple fisherman that answered the call of Jesus to follow him. The first disciple to confess Jesus as the Christ, as the Son of God. But he was also the one who, when he was walking on the water, took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. He was a part of Jesus' inner circle, but he wrongly rebuked Jesus when Jesus talked about needing to go die on the cross. Peter promised that he would follow Jesus to the bitter end, but when he was threatened, he denied Jesus three times. See, Peter, Peter walked with Jesus. He saw his authority and power at work firsthand, and yet still, even for him, he didn't submit. He didn't want to suffer. He didn't humble himself. And that was a much younger Peter. The Peter that wrote these letters to the church certainly had come a long way from them. He, came, he went from being a denier of Jesus to being the rock on which the church of Jesus was built. And obviously, Peter lived a pretty unique life. And so now, in his letters to the church, he wants to pass on the lessons that he learned in his life to us. So this morning, we're again going to be looking at submission, but we're going to look at it a little bit differently than we have in the past few weeks. As Peter begins to wrap up his first letter, he hones in to instruct specific people in the church in very specific ways. He first mandates the elders of the church, then he advises the younger people in the church, and then finally he directs the church as a whole. We'll see submission, but we'll see that in order to submit, we have to be humble. Amidst all of his specific points, the theme that is weaved through all of them is humility. Humility is key to submission. Humility enables us to submit. So with that in mind, we're gonna open up to 1 Peter chapter five, Verses 1 to 7. It's on page 852 in the Pew Bible. It's right before 2 Peter. 
All right, 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Hear the word of the Lord. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we can see that as Peter is wrapping up his first letter, he's still trying to hit home this idea of submitting or yielding to others. This morning, we're going to flesh out the three groups he addresses. Again, it's the elders, the younger among us, or the flock, and the church at large. First, we're going to unpack what Peter has to say to elders. And to do this, we have to understand the context of Peter's letter here. Peter was writing to Christians that were scattered all around Asia Minor during a time when it wasn't publicly acceptable to be a Christian. These believers would meet in homes, and there was generally just one person that kind of oversaw each each home church. Obviously, in our congregation, we elect our elders, but in Peter's day, these elders or overseers weren't necessarily elected. They were just the people that were looked up to as leaders in the church. And I I say this because I don't want any of us that aren't currently elders or haven't been elders in the past to tune out what Peter's saying here. What I'm saying is we don't have to be elected as an elder to strive towards the things Peter's encouraging in this letter. So with that in mind, I'm going to reread verses 1 to 4. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of the flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So Peter starts off chapter five, appealing to elders as a fellow elder himself. This may not seem important at first glance, but Peter started off uh, his letter here in chapter one, claiming authority as an apostle of someone that was directly under Jesus. Being an apostle back in this day was the highest authority you could possibly have in the church. So why is he appealing as a fellow elder? There's a lot of theological debate on this, but I don't believe he's necessarily coming down from his position as an apostle, what he's doing here is he's elevating the position of the church. He knows that he and the other apostles aren't gonna be around forever. And so what he's imploring here is he wants the leaders in the church to step up. He's about to set the bar in a sense, but he's also implying that he believes the church can hit it, can hit the bar and share in the same glory that will be revealed. Then in verse two, Peter starts with his main, his primary instruction to the elders. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. We've talked about sheep together a little bit. 
But what do we know about shepherds? Did they care what they, what they looked like? How they smelled? What other people thought of them? No, right? What was a shepherd's number one priority? Sheep, exactly. The flock under their care. So Peter's using this metaphor of a shepherd to imply that elders, the people under their care, are their priority. And Peter gets a little bit more specific and gives us a list of three do's and three don'ts. And I really like the way Peter breaks this up because it makes it, he makes it very clear. It's like, this is what you're supposed to do, this is what you're not supposed to do. So the first specific, he says, elders, watch over the flock, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. I like to picture an actual shepherd here to help me understand a little bit what Peter's saying. On the one hand, we have the disinterested shepherd, only watching over the sheep because he must. Well, these are the sheep the boss wants me to watch over today. Have fun, guys. I'll be over here playing solitaire on my phone. If a wolf or lion comes, do you think this shepherd is going gonna, is gonna to try to get in the way? Of course not. No, he's, he's going to be throwing the sheep at the wolf while he's running the other direction. But on the other hand, we have the shepherd that's watching over the sheep because he loves them and he cares about them. The shepherd just doesn't do the bare minimum. He's willing to be a good shepherd. And a good shepherd, good shepherd puts their sheep first because they truly care about the sheep and want them to grow and be safe. Peter says that this is what God wants the elders to be. He doesn't want eldership or overseeing to be done begrudgingly. He wants it to be done willingly. And to be willing means to submit my will to someone else. In this case, Peter is imploring us to give our will over to God. And so we have the first specific for the elder shepherds. Watch over the flock, not because you must, because you are willing. Because you are willing as God wants you to be. The second specific is this. Watch over the flock, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Peter wants to make sure that the motives of the overseers are pure. Because one shouldn't seek to be an elder or a leader in the church for dishonest gain. And this could be financial gain, social gain, gain of power, gain of status. I mean, really, all sorts of things. Instead, Peter is hearkening back to the lessons that Jesus, that Jesus taught where the first will be last and the last will be first. And so he's employing the elders to be eager to serve in this way, eager to put others first, eager to serve the flock under their care. A good shepherd serves his sheep. He leads them to greener pastures and quieter waters. He laid down he lays down his life for his sheep, putting them first, keeping them from danger. I think we can all agree that serving eagerly, serving eagerly is something Peter struggled with early on. Don't get me wrong, Peter was pretty eager, right? We know that Peter was an eager disciple. He certainly wanted to help. But there were so many times that Peter thought he was serving Jesus. He was just putting his foot in his mouth. I think it's easy for us to fall into that same trap. Because true service, service, serving like Jesus, means we have to get out of our comfort zone and be willing to sit in the messiness of the people that we're serving. I can put on a shepherd's cloak, get a shepherd's staff, and go out into the fields and say, yeah, I'm a shepherd. But if one of my sheep gets stuck in the mud, am I a good shepherd if I just stand outside and point and laugh? Am I a good shepherd that says, oh, you sh you're stupid, you shouldn't have got stuck in the mud? Or if I, am I a good shepherd if I tell him, well, you should have gone around. You, you, you made a mistake going into the mud. 
No, right? A good shepherd gets into the mud, goes in, and gets dirty. He's willing, eager to go help to get the sheep out. It's hard to serve this way, to be willing to get dirty in our service. But that's what Peter is calling the elders to when he says they need to be eager to serve. So we have the first specific, oversee the flock willingly as God wants us to be. The second one, be eager to serve, not seeking dishonest gain. The third specific is to watch over the flock, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Once again, I like the image that the two, of the two shepherds here. You have the power-hungry shepherd that yells and beats his flock into submission, into doing what he wants. But then you have the gentle, loving shepherd that guides his sheep, helps them through rocky paths, and goes to find them when they wander off. You have leading by fear and threatening versus leading by example with love. Do you see the two differences? I mean, you might get results in both scenarios, but the sheep are only truly nurtured by the good shepherd. If we're honest, though, it's much harder being a good shepherd. I mean, last time I was up here, we talked how, about how inexplicably dumb sheep are, right? So no doubt, it must be hard for shepherds to deal with these dumb sheep on a day-to-day basis. They're always getting lost. They're always luring dangerous animals. I think we can understand the temptation for the shepherd to be an unwilling, uneager, selfish person at times. Because if we think about it in our, in our context, it's hard for us to open up ourselves to people and live in the mess with others. I mean, how many Christian leaders have we seen burn out in the church because they simply got tired of dealing with the sheep? It's hard to be a good shepherd. But that's what Peter's calling us to. And that's what the Lord calls us to. But in our own power, we'll be subject to burning out and falling into the, the, falling into the temptation of being the wrong kind of shepherd. Peter can attest to this firsthand because he went through that transformation himself. If we look at the Peter that was, that was in the Gospels, how different is the Peter that's writing this letter today? That's the basis on which Peter gives these guidance to the elders. He says, shepherd the flock by overseeing them willingly as God wants, by serving them eagerly, and by being a good example of how to live. Peter concludes his encouragement to the elders by bringing God and eternity into the picture. I'll reread verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Eternity is what we're living for, church. The picture that Peter's painting here is one of a champion. You've seen those crowns made of leaves and depictions of ancient art. These crowns were reserved for people that that won special Greek games, Greek events, similar to like a gold medal uh, a modern-day Olympian would receive. The crown that Peter's describing here, though, is one that will never fade, unlike a crown of leaves or a medal of gold. The prize for good shepherds will be the honor of having participated in God's work here on earth. 
This prize doesn't bring glory to us. It gratifies us in with Christ as an instrument for his glory. And that holds weight in eternity. Can't, an Olympian can't take gold medals with him. We can take this prize that Peter is talking about in his letter. So the first four verses of today's text are aimed at the elders of the church, but remember that we don't have to be elected as an elder to strive towards the things that Peter has laid out for us. The second portion of today's reading is directed at at those of us who are younger. It's very short, it's just verse 5a. It says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Now the word we have in English this morning is younger, those who are younger. Really, Peter is pointing to the rest of us in the church. He started chapter five by addressing the elders. Now he's essentially talking to everybody else in the church. His message is very straightforward. Submit yourselves to your elders. We're not talking about obeying elders without question. That's not what submission means. What it means is the elders leading the way and the rest of us willingly following. And this takes two things, right? Quality leadership and people that are willing to follow. And I think if we look out in our culture today, both of those things, quality leadership, people willing to follow, both of those things are pretty foreign in our culture. But we looked at what Peter's expectations are for the elders, for the leadership, and now we see that the call for the rest of us is to submit to that leadership. But how do we submit? The key lies in the last few verses of the text today. Start in verse five. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So Peter instructed elders, directed the rest of us, and now he's tying it all together. For both the shepherd and the sheep, humility is key. Humility is what enables us to submit. By humility, elders can lay themselves down and serve the congregation. By humility, the congregation can lay themselves down and follow the elders. If we clothe ourselves in humility, as Peter instructs, even our biggest disagreements would be handled amicably because we would be putting the other person before ourselves. This takes humility. When we're humble, we can submit. Because humility is the mindset and the posture of the heart behind submission. One thing that we need to understand here about Peter's words is that humility wasn't a common practice before Jesus came. We get a glimpse of this in the Pharisees, right? The leaders of the church of that day. They were anything but humble. They thought faith begot pride. When they were out in public, it was no question that they were a leader in the church. Everyone knew it because they prayed loudly for others to hear. They dressed extravagantly. And if they were fasting, they would make sure it was obvious. They would make sure people knew. They spoke down to everybody else. So when Jesus came and said, instead, we need to be humble, to pray in secret, to conceal it when we fast, this was a game changer for the early followers. 
And it's a game changer for us too. Because humility, humility changes everything. It changes our hearts, our motives, our thoughts, our actions. What a culture shift it would be if everyone humbled themselves and served each other. But we can't submit if we're not first humble. Humility is the key. That's not the only reason Peter urges us to be humble. He quotes a proverb when he says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. God opposes the proud. Wow. God is the opponent of the proud. I mean, do we need a better reason to humble ourselves? I don't want to be an opponent of God. You see, pride directly rivals God's glory. Because pride is putting faith and glory in ourselves instead of faith and giving glory to God. But I'll be honest, this is, this is a real struggle for me. I'm a prideful person. I like doing things my way. I like being right, but I like making sure people know that I'm right. But what if, church, what if showing humility was more important than being right? What if serving others is more important than trying to prove that we're better than them? But what does this humility look like? The answer lies in verses six and seven. I'll reread them. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. As followers of Jesus, we're called to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. And what that simply means is to recognize that God is in control and we are not. I guess it's not so simple. True humility recognizes that our true worth and fulfillment comes from God, not from being the best or from being right. God has all the power, and we do not. When we submit to God and wait for him, Peter says this is how we will be delivered. The text says God cares about us. We need to hear that. God cares about you, about me. When we give God our anxiety, what we're doing is we're letting go of control. When we give God our worries, we're putting our faith and trust in him into practice. We're taking it from a heart thing and putting it into a practical thing. Instead of just saying, oh yeah, God, no, I'll trust you, I'll submit, and then going over here and holding on to control for dear life, Humbling ourselves before God is the act of submitting to him, of letting go. It's through humility that we can submit. How do we apply this humility in our lives today? How can we submit to God through humility? The most critical way is through prayer. Nothing humbles us like prayer. Prayer is submitting to God. To truly pray is to acknowledge that we need God and that we trust that God can and will answer. The late evangelist Leonard Ravenhill said it this way. He said, prayer is the language of the poor in spirit. Another way to say that would be prayer is the language of the humble in spirit. The self-satisfied do not want to pray. The self-sufficient do not need to pray. The self-righteous cannot pray. 
the less we pray, the more we maintain an attitude of, Lord, I can manage this alone. That last line, Lord, I can manage this alone. If that's not pride, I don't know what is. Prayer humbles us because no other action submits that we need help from God like prayer does. When we pray humbly, we can be empowered to live humbly, to submit and serve the people around us. What does it look like to pray humbly? Jesus gives us a perfect picture in Luke 18 in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. You don't have to turn there. I'll I'll just read it for you. It's Luke 18, 9 to 14. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I feel like that text kind of goes hand in hand with with 1 Peter's letter today. That's what humility looks like, church. The prayer of the Pharisee was born from pride, but the prayer of the tax collector was born of humility. He humbled himself, and it was out of that humility that he could submit himself before God. This morning, we've looked at Peter specifically address elders to shepherd and serve the people that they've been entrusted Peter's instructed the rest of us in the church to submit to those above them. And then he encouraged the church at large to humble themselves and submit to each other. We've seen that humility enables us to submit. Humility is key and prayer is the battle. Are we praying, church? Elders, are we praying for the flock under our care? Beloved, are we going to battle for the people that God has put into our lives? Are we interceding for those that don't know Jesus? When I don't pray, when I don't submit to God as the chief shepherd through prayer, I find it a whole lot harder to submit to the people in my life. I find it a whole lot harder to lovingly serve others, to faithfully humble myself to others. Our time in 1 Peter thus far has has definitely been challenging. It's not easy to talk about submission, suffering, humility. It's even, it's even harder to apply those things to our lives. For the most of us, I mean, we have our routines. We have our rhythms. I mean, we've been raised to work hard, we've, we, to claw our way to the top. And we've been told, we're still being told, to put ourselves first, to look out for number one. It's ingrained in us. It's ingrained in me. But when, when will I realize that it's not enough? That pride won't fulfill me. Remember the life of Peter. He wanted so badly to be Jesus' favorite. He tried everything. He even even pledged his, his life to Jesus. But when his life was threatened, Peter crumbled. 
as we said earlier, Peter, Peter walked with Jesus. He was there. He saw his authority and power at work firsthand, and still he didn't submit. He didn't want to suffer. He didn't humble himself. It wasn't until after the resurrection that it truly, fully clicked. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit fell upon Peter at Pentecost that he began to live into his call. And out of those experiences, other failures, and many, many other things, we have First and Second Peter today, the letter to the church. May there be resurrection in our church today. May the fire of the Holy Spirit come fill us anew. May it be in Grace Lutheran Church as it is in heaven. Beloved, we're called to live for something more than the aspirations and pleasures of this world. But it's not easy. I mean, if anything, Peter's assured us that it's not easy. But in those trials, take hold of those words in verse 4. When the chief shepherd appears, we will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Elders, may we humble ourselves and feed the flock. Church, may we wear humility so that we can submit to each other. Beloved, may we lay down our fear and pick up our faith. Prayer is the battle. So let's go to battle now. Lord Jesus, we need you. Holy Spirit, continue the work you're doing in us, in our hearts, in our lives. May it be in our hearts as it is in heaven, Lord. Teach us how to submit. Teach us how to be humble. Teach us how to pray. May we know in our hearts that we cannot manage this alone. May we know in our hearts that we truly need you. Give us more dependence. Increase our faith. Increase our desire for you. May you increase. May we decrease. Come, Holy Spirit. We need you. Fill us anew, we pray. Thank you for the cross, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would come. Wash us in your blood. Fill us anew. Amen.